Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Big Game Indicating Dogs Q&A. Again, you guys know what these are about. These are the questions that people that are following the Dear Dog Training Blueprint have asked in the Big Game Indicating Dogs Inner Circle Facebook page. And we answer them on the Paul John Michaels podcast, Big Game Indicating Dogs YouTube channel, and the Big Game Indicating Dogs Facebook page. That's all the places that these video slash podcasts go. So you can watch the video versions on YouTube and Facebook, Big Game Indicating Dogs. You can listen to the audio version on the Paul John Michaels podcast. If you want to find out more about Big Game Indicating Dogs and the Deer Dog Training Blueprint, you can go to biggameindicatingdogs.com and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Question number one, the one thing to never do with your big game indicating dogs. Dalen, <clears throat> I've already made, I made a video on this, we watched it, we had a look at it uh, yesterday, I, I think it was from 2016, I think it was, yeah, 15-16, uh, it's on the big game indicating dogs YouTube channel. Uh, it's got quite a few views. <clears throat> um, but here's Dalen's question. But Dalen, watch that video and I'll read the question out and then we'll talk about it and we'll come, we'll go full circle with it. Hi, I have a two-year-old GSP. I have recently come back to the blueprint. For the last year, I've been using my dog to flush foxes and find them after being shot. And we recently just got back onto good private property with deer and I've noticed he will not range. <clears throat> so what Dalen means is the dog won't stay close, it won't stay within range. He just wants to hunt and sniff everything he can, non-communicative turns, stepping on the long line and giving him a growling do not seem to affect him. We train 6am, 6pm and 9.30pm. I've spent a fair bit of time reading into what others have done. Can I grab your input into this, please? Can't wrap my brain around it. So, <clears throat> flushing foxes and finding them after being shot. That video that I did a few years ago, the one thing to never do with your big game indicating dog, goes into a lot of this stuff in detail, but I would like to know exactly how you've handled the flushing of foxes and finding them after being shot because in a lot of ways that's not necessarily a huge huge issue but it depends how you deal with it and uh, <clears throat> the in that video the one thing to never do with your big game indicating dogs the one thing that you never do is let the dog auto flush or auto retrieve so basically auto flushing or auto retrieving is when the dog just smells scent and it takes off and flushes without you telling it to go or in bird shooting for example or in your case fox hunting if your dog just smells fox runs off flushes the fox the fox runs out you shoot it and the dog just runs over and picks up the fox. That's auto flushing, auto retrieving combined together. 
Uh, and the reason why you can't do that, or why I highly, highly recommend you shouldn't do that, and it's the last thing you should do with the big game indicating dog, is because that's teaching the dog to do that stuff on its own. Teaching it to smell scent and just take off on its own. And it takes control out of the situation and that just bleeds straight across to your everything else and indicating in that you've just taught the dog that when it smells scent, it just goes and it does what it wants. Uh, that's why any real good bird dog training, for example, um, particularly the old school uh, traditional style bird dog training, it was all about steadiness to the shot, steadiness to the flush, and but achieving that in a way that you still have tons and tons of drive out of the dog. The dog wants to go and flush, wants to go and retrieve. And in fact, a lot of it is trained in, the, in a way that you never really long-term 100% achieve this, but a lot of it is actually done, uh, particularly began with the idea and training of the dog not even realizing that it can do that, you know, and that it can just run off whenever it wants. That's what stepping on a long line does, you know, like when you start training that stop and the dogs walk along and you say, sit, and stand on the long line half a second later, when you're doing that with a young pup, and the way a dog thinks, dogs have a very simple, um, you know, they've got an IQ of a three-year-old person, I've said that loads and loads of times, but the same IQ as a pig. Um, pretty basic operating system, and they don't reason and rationalize and think things over and over and over, they just react to situations and based on their instincts and their past experiences, so when you do basic things like just say, print sit and stand on a long line half a second later, so every time they hear print sit, the long line stops them, so you do that for a while over and over consistently without letting the dog experience anything that contradicts that such as putting them in a situation where they have the opportunity to not listen to commands and they're just running around doing what they want you actually end up with a dog that it doesn't even think about continuing to walk after the sit command it just does it you know and and real real good solid Particularly a lot of, I think a lot of the stuff's getting lost over time, but there's still plenty of bird dog trainers that run under those ideas, but uh, uh, that's a huge part of traditional, of, of traditional bird dog training, even sheep dog training, and just good dog training in general, is realizing what a dog is, how it processes um, what it's going to end up doing or be like if you do things wrong and what it can be like if you do everything correctly and it can be that simple that the dog's not even thinking about it it just it's not even part of its uh, thought process that it can keep walking after that stop command and you can do the same thing with it's basically what we do with stop to the shot you know the blueprint is structured around ideas like that that you can get a dog that doesn't even really know it can chase stuff that's really where print is at 
you know prince never chased anything he's never made his own decision to just break and run out and chase he's sort of actually apart from dogs apart from other dogs and that's from him having freedom sessions in a dog proof area at home um and prince always had a niggly thing with other dogs he still does to this day you know when i'm walking him around town here at the beach or at the park or something and prince sees another dog and he wants to go because his past experience is that he can do that he can just run up to other dogs but in everything else birds rabbits pigs deer um he's never chased anything else like the other day i shot a deer one i saw one deer walking through i shot it and deer just went running everywhere and i was just trying to focus on keeping an eye on which one i had actually hit and what was it going down and what was this big confusing situation and deer were sort of angling towards us and running past and it was all over the show i didn't even think about what print was doing i was just focused on where the deer that i had hit was going um so we could obviously find it or follow it up if my shot wasn't right or anything like that and i just started walking towards it and prince just walking next to me and it's not even i'm i don't even think about print running off because he's not thinking about it because he's never done it so all of that that same basic level of operation that dogs have it's very it can be very very reliable if you just never let a dog do anything that you don't want it to do then it barely even knows it can do it and it and and then when it is put in a situation later on if you control it properly for long enough then even when it is in situations that where it could do it it doesn't even know it can so it so it doesn't that whole basic level of operation uh also goes for the other way round when you do let a dog do things that you don't necessarily want it to do later like uh chasing flushing and chasing it's very very difficult to delete that and stop it happening again very very difficult and it's very very difficult with any dogs because of the way a dog operates but if you do it with a dog like a gsp in fact just scrap that because it doesn't really matter but you could you could easily argue that particularly when you do it with something like a gsp let it run out chase auto flush bite all that sort of thing uh it it, you could easily make the argument that that's going to be a bigger problem with something like a gsp um so it all comes down to exactly how you've done it and unless you've done that whole fox thing all a hundred percent steady and and the dog basically indicates that it thinks something's there and when you want it to flush it you give it a command to flush and then because with traditional uh bird dogs it's such a massive subject and this is why the the blueprint's just strictly a blueprint the the deer dog training blueprint 
is because when you start adding layers, it just gets <laughs> it gets so huge. And when you start adding flushing and retrieving and, and different things, for example, back in the day, really, really traditional bird dogs and where a lot of these different breeds and disciplines come from had pointers, flushes and retrievers. And, and the pointers never retrieved. Um, you know, they, they'd actually, they, yeah, they had pointers for pointing birds and retrievers for retrieving birds um, <clears throat> and things like that. So, and, and getting into versatile things, you know, with, with a, talking about a versatile gun dog that indicates big game, the way the deer dog training blueprint sets up a dog and then flushing and retrieving particularly if you're talking about um, running out, flushing, shooting a fox, the dog's already out there because it's just flushed it. It was, it may have been, what, is the, is the, does the dog sit when the fox flushes? Because that's one part of some traditional bird dog training systems is the dog, sometimes the dog might be out there just working like spaniels the whole time, backwards and forwards, working all around you. The second a bird flushes, the dog sits, stops, sits to the flush. So the dog's staying still and you know where it is and, and you shoot your bird and the dog's steady to the shot too or stops to the shot. Let's say a bird gets up and the dog didn't see the bird get up so it's still working and you shoot a bird that the dog doesn't even know is in the air then the dog, in, in some real, true, proper, traditional bird dog training systems, where as soon as you fire the shot at that bird that the dog doesn't know is in the air, the dog sits down. And it just waits for it, the next thing to happen, for its next command. And you wait for the bird to you know, land or do whatever you want, and then you send the dog, hopefully the dog marks the bird. If the dog doesn't, now you'll be using your... Um, your left and your right and your back and forward and you'll be guiding a retrieving dog into the bird. Um, <clears throat> but as soon as it, it it's anything other than that, that type of structure, basically all bets are off, you know, and, and you're talking about something completely different. And it's amazing how lost all of that is. Um, and some of the examples that get set uh, and where they get set, you know, for example, I saw on one of New Zealand's top hunting shows in the last year or two, um, <clears throat> shooting birds, game bird shooting, I think, yeah, they were shooting off uh, decoys, so sitting there in a, in a blind with birds coming in. And there was about two or three or four dogs just auto-retrieving, flat stick. And and while while people are on the callers and birds are circling, the dogs are just whining and just trotting on the spot, whining, chattering away, waiting for another shot to get fired so they could just auto-retrieve blast on in. I've talked about this a lot in Q&As in the past. Um, I've worked with people in one-on-one -on -one sessions with this Um this exact same thing. Man, I had this awesome 
deer dog and then something happened it turned to shit and i start talking to them and asking them about it or what's me what else you've been doing oh i did do we did duck shooting okay well how'd you do that oh actually i was going to keep my dog steady but my mate's dog was auto retrieving and he said no just let it auto retrieve and i didn't wasn't quite sure but i just let my dog do it and one morning of auto retrieving in the duck pond completely ruined his deer dog and to the point very very difficult to ever get that dog back to where it was at the start if not impossible um so there's so much to this i could keep going on and on about it but that, that video that's why it's literally called the one thing to never do with your big game indicating dog there's two big things it's, i get this question a lot uh hi paul i've got an older dog thinking about following the blueprint should i follow it and i say is your dog severely gun shy or has it um has it done a lot of running chasing auto retrieving a lot of out of control stuff like that um because and, and to be honest the severely gun shy thing you probably got a better chance of completely fixing that um because the whole anything where the dog just makes its own decision to go and then if you do a decent amount of that and also if you add in when the after the dog runs out when it gets there there's an animal that's either still alive and the dog kills it or it's still kicking and the dog grabs it um that's a lot of drive and you're bringing a lot of stuff up out of that dog that that it's evolved to do um and it's very hard to go back on that and that's why that is 100 why these traditional systems have so much and again the blueprint is built on that on on those principles uh, the reason why dog track good real dog training has got to that is because uh, anything else again all bets are off it's the only way to do it really um, all that control and structure super super important and and it's it's pretty crazy this is why this q a is like this is why i'm ranting on this so hard this is why so much of the blueprint I'm, I'm just staring down the barrel lens saying this is so important and I'm ranting about this stuff for, for ages and that's why the blueprint's 15 hours long is because uh, if you go just a little bit outside of some of these parameters everything just completely turns to shit and, and it's very hard to bring back. So that's, that's really... Uh, Dalen said, can I grab your input on this please? that's none of that and i don't know if that's what you've done the auto retrieve stuff um if you didn't do the auto stuff the auto retrieving the auto flushing the dog basically just almost getting to the point where the dog's just hunting on its own accord and 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 you're capitalizing on the dog just hunting on its own accord if you haven't done that and it's all been controlled and structured and only when you've told the dog to go and you've always had control, then you should be able to get it back. It shouldn't be a huge issue and you should be able to use all of the tools in the deer dog training blueprint, the long line, the management stuff I talk about later on in the blueprint. Um, 
you know, that stuff off the end of part 12 when I'm talking about uh, managing print while he's hunting later on as he starts to gain confidence and hunting him on the on the long line a little bit more and things like that. Um, you should be able to bring it back. If you were doing the auto stuff and you've done it for the last year, you say you've been, for the last year, you've been using your dog to flush foxes and find them after being shot. That means you started doing that because you said the dog's two years old and for the last year I've been using it to flush foxes. You start hunting deer in the blueprint at about 12 months old, sort of at the earliest, really. Some some people have done it earlier. Um, so that means the dog barely hunted deer and, and now you've done a year of flushing and retrieving foxes and, and now you're trying to switch back to deer indicating as we do it in the blueprint and it's not quite working for you, which is pretty much exactly how that would go. Even if you have done everything perfectly, there's going to be a transition there, man, big time. Um, on a little side note on this, I'm actually about to do we're literally starting it this week. We're starting the the deer dog training boot camp with Miko. And then I'm going to do the, what did I say? The deer dog training or bird? We're starting the deer dog training boot camp with Miko. Hopefully we'll get that done within six weeks. And then I'm starting the bird dog training boot camp with Miko. Um, and that's going to be talking about and going over uh, in a pretty simple, shorter format, uh, how to get the basics pretty damn solid. Remembering that Miko was trained in the Palmiko dog guy, which is pretty a pretty damn solid system with using basically a lot of the stuff from the deer dog training blueprint as far as long line and control and all the principles go. Uh, but the the... The deer dog training boot camp will be good for people who have a dog that has good basics and they want to get it hunting deer. It'll also be good for people that have followed half of the blueprint and then fell off or um, they sort of followed it, but basically that, and there's a lot of people like that that have followed it and then that, you know they got too busy and now they're getting back on or whatever. Um, this will be a six-week boot camp to just knock everything back into shape and get the dog going. Um, on deer, indicating working out front, control, um, hunting properly, um, comfortable with the gun, steady to the gun, steady to game, all that sort of thing. The bird dog boot camp... Uh, will go over or we'll, we'll actually demonstrate a lot of that stuff like how I'm going to use Miko as a bird dog so controlled flushing controlled retrieving um, only to the command while also being able to use her as a big game indicating dog after so it's going to be a short class on how to do that um, and then sometime uh after that i'm i'm pro most probably going to do the versatile gun dog blueprint which will be all of this stuff 
uh, and it'll probably be it will be it'll be bigger than the than the deer dog training blueprint. It'll be massive. It's going to be a huge job. But basically, putting all of the stuff that I'm talking about, big game indicating, uh, tracking, retrieving, pointing, flushing, all of that stuff, all into a system that works, um, which is it's a which is a bloody big job, you know. But um, anyway, just as a reminder on this, you know, because that was a pretty big ramble rant on one question um 25 minutes on one question uh yeah if you've got us if, if if what i just said is sparking off second another question or thought or ideas or i missed something we want me to cover anything off throw it in the comments um and we'll do it craig hi paul i was wondering your thoughts on a pup getting bored in its training track now, by this I mean I live on a farm where you've progressed from the small paddock around the house to a farm track out into two paddocks in a loop and back to the house. She's a purebred Vizsla, 14 weeks and stupidly driven. Very, very smart. Has picked up so much so fast. She's mastered the walking in front, holds good range, always checking where I am and not always checking where I am and her stop is solid out to 50 meters. Quick side note there, if you think a 14-week-old pup has mastered all that stuff, just wait. <laughs> just wait because there's, there's, there's plenty coming, man. And there, there's this is actually a thing. There's a little period regularly with young pups where they're smart enough and if the training is good enough, they look like they're getting it and everything you're like, oh my God, I can't believe what this little pup is capable of. But they're still a 14-week-old pup and that's why they're so good with their range and looking back to you because they're just a baby and they're not very confident yet. As they hit four, five, six, seven, eight, nine months, everything starts opening up, man. It, 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 but it's perfect. It's perfect where you are at the moment, but there's a lot more coming. Trust me. Um, where was I? Always checking where I am. Solid out to 50 meters, but is now showing sides of boredom. Not holding focus. We have been doing this track for three weeks now. By this I mean, if nothing to smell or new, she just tries to play or grab the line, pays more attention to me than on what she's meant to be doing. If I change up my track, new smells, etc., she's fine, focused, and good, but I'm limited to where I can do this due to wild deer and goats on the farm, and the nearest place to me is a 45-minute drive one way. I realize this is probably a normal thing once they get familiar with smells and that uh, once they get familiar with smells and that on their normal loop, just thought, you may have some advice other than just changing where we walk for now. Thanks, Craig. Reply from Craig. I managed to fix this by not coming back on the same track, so made it a complete loop. I found she tended to lose focus and act up, act up a bit more once we hit the track on the way home. So it sounds like Craig was going out, doubling back and coming back on the same track. And once you turn it into a loop, it was not too bad. And that's pretty much what I did with print. 
I had that short area along the road in the blueprint where I walked along out into the paddock. I did a big loop in the paddock. And then and there was a couple of spots where I come back along the same track, but it shouldn't be a huge issue. Uh, and, and also, what you're saying here is basically exactly what I just explained before. It's like, man, she's 14 weeks old. Everything's perfect. But hang on. Now she's trying all this other crap. Welcome to the welcome to the show. Um, I definitely have to keep her mentally stimulated though. So Craig's basically come back and said he sorted it. But uh, there was that one point to make there um, about, man, if you think you're getting sorted at 14 weeks old, you do have that little period. And even some people... Uh, start taking their dog hunting there like you know people would do it they start they're taking like a three-month-old pup hunting um, four-month-old pup and hey sometimes it works if it works all power to you um if you just told everyone to do that no nah, you just take them hunting when they're three months old mate N you know damn near 99 out of 100 people would just completely screw it up um but uh there can be that little window early on where it's just either a young or inexperienced, unconfident dog that's just keeping an eye on you and staying close. And as they get older or as they get more confident, if you haven't got your training and control like really freaking good, you're going to start running into some serious problems. Um, and also, I think another thing that I wanted to cover on this is just that, um, and I've talked about this before, but... You know, you're talking about um, she starts to lose focus and act up a bit. And she sort of gets interested in the long line or turns to me or whatever. That, and again, welcome to the show. You know, that's dog training. And, and, and so much of it is just you're walking this fine line of holding the pup back because you can't just let them do everything you want straight away. <laughs> uh so you're holding them back, but you're trying to keep them interested and uh, focused, you know, and, and you're trying to keep everything calm and controlled without, while still keeping things light and positive and keeping your bond and relationship good. It's this, you're trying to walk a knife edge, you know, it's this constant balancing act of just holding them back but keeping things moving and keeping everything right on this fine little edge um it really is man and and you know i mean that sounds sounds dramatic but uh it is fun it should be fun and easy and simple and i think if you watch the blueprint and how you know 95 percent of the training is with print and that's that's what it's like that's literally what it's like you know it's not hard it's a it's a it's a dog in your case when you're starting off we're starting off with the puppy that's small with the iq of a three-year-old human and we've got it tied to a rope you know it's not it, it shouldn't be it's it's not rocket science it's not it's not difficult and it should be fun and easy as long as you know where you're going you know what to expect you know um on the same 
note though. Uh, it can be challenging, you know, and and, and you've got to um, sometimes you've got to work to keep it on track and bite your tongue and just stay calm, work your way through it. George, hi Paul, you mentioned once at least that India dog of yours had an issue with running up to people. Do you know how she turned out? Was she able to overcome this with a new owner? And if you had kept her, could you please be as detailed as possible as to what steps you would have taken to fix this behavioural issue? Cheers, George. Yeah, so um, interesting story. I had a dog called Indy that I got uh, when I was doing contract goat control work. I needed another dog doing that. Um, so I got her, trained her up, did a lot of um, long line work, did a lot of the stuff that went into, uh, eventually went into the deer dog training blueprint. Um, she turned out real good, real fast, was an absolute cracker little dog. And then when I stopped doing goat work and I got print to do the blueprint, I had too many dogs. I was doing boot camps as well. I just didn't, I had too many good dogs. I, I had to get rid of one. Um, and I got rid of her, but I've told this story before. Um, one of our principles in the Deer Dog Training Blueprint, it's in the Palmico Dog Guide as well, is one moment can count forever. And if we go back to the start of this, talking about the breaking and chasing and things, or um, in this case with Indy, it was... Uh, I talk about one moment can count forever, every moment counts. It's so freaking important and... Um, how we talk about uh, putting a dog in a situation where it has the opportunity to not, not listen to a command teaches the dog that it doesn't have to listen to commands. And if that moment is significant enough, one moment can count forever. One moment can last forever. And uh, <clears throat> I had a moment with Indy when she was about... She's probably about seven or eight months old, and we we're actually working. Um, and there was a, a time there with Indy where I I took her, started getting her out hunting with me way earlier than I ordinarily would have, or that I would ever recommend anyone do, um, because I had to. I had no other choice. I, I um, it was a real shuffle when she was real young. I had different people look after her for me while I went away for work, and it was such a mission that as soon as I pushed pushed it through as fast as I could. Got it. Um, introduction to gunfire sorted. Um, got her, you know, her um, got her confident enough in the bush and water and obstacles and all that where I knew I can take her hunting without screwing her up. But she was only, and I got a very good heel on her as well. I got her walking out in front, set up first. That was um, enough along the way to that I knew it was going to be good. And then I got a really good heel on her. And she was just in behind. Fly was out front and me, uh, uh, Indy was in behind um, just so I didn't have to bother about leaving her somewhere for someone to look after her, you know. But um, we were away with work. I think she was, a, she was probably about seven, eight months old, somewhere around there. And uh, we were staying in a like a motel, almost motor camp sort of set up in Mochaweka. And... Indy was still at the stage of training, as in the blueprint, where 
basically any time we're in a situation where anything could happen, she should have the long line on because she's not fully trained yet. She was young. And, you know, when you're traveling with dogs, doing that goat work, you'd be, the dogs would be basically, you're living out of the back of your truck, and the, including your dogs, and you're staying at this um, motel when there was a little orchard thing next to it. That's why we used to stay there because they allowed us to have the dogs in the back of the truck and we could let the dogs out of the back of the truck in the motel car park and take them for a toilet walk out in this um, orchard thing. And I got, and so first thing we do every morning when we woke up, um, even on a day off or whatever, was the dogs were in the truck all night. We'd go out, let them out of the truck, take them for a toilet break. And I... I remember thinking, where's Miko's long line? I think it's at the in the bottom of my day pack under a whole bunch of other gear in the back of my truck. And I, I walked out and I looked around. It was very early in the morning. No one was around. And I thought, no, nah, I'll be sweet. I, I, I made a mistake. I was lazy. And I was like, I'll be all right. I'll, as long as no one turns up, no other dogs, no other people will be sweet. Take her out for a quick toilet break. Um, put her back in the truck. I'll sort myself out sort my gear out, find my long line and we'll be away. And I let her out and I can't remember what the hell I had to do. I I let her out and I had to like go back to my room to grab my boots or a hat or some freaking thing. And so I just sort of got about 10 or 20 meters away from the dogs and they were basically just standing there by the truck. And I come walking back out the door and the, the owner of that place, she was this lovely old lady, come walking around the corner and it was just, I just saw it all happening in slow motion. Miko saw, uh, uh, Indy saw her. She saw Indy. And there was a little moment where I could have said, Indy! And like screamed something and like freaked the old lady out. What had just been a weird situation. I said nothing. I was just like, uh, didn't know what to say for a second. Literally one second. And before I could make a decision or anything happened, this lovely old lady went, oh, look at you, aren't you lovely? And like patted her knee and Indy just broke and ran up to her and jumped at her face and this lovely lady just like wrapped her arms around and went, oh, look at you. And Indy was like licking her face and patting her and that was it. One moment can count forever. And after that, I never had control of Indy around other random people not on a long line um, and we'd be at a park or something even later on I continued Indy's training properly on a long line and then I started doing you know um, increased distraction um, on the stop and all of that sort of stuff and then transitioned off the long line and she had stopped to the shot and steadiness around game and all of this stuff but anytime we're in that, in another one of our principles is situational awareness. Anytime when we're in a situation like that, out in public around random people or something, if anyone even looked at her or she heard someone was having a conversation and some like a female voice was like, ha ha, laughing or something, Indy's head would just pop up and I'd go, Indy, and she'd just switch her ears off and go. Um, and she was such a nice dog usually when she got there she got the big oh look at you aren't you cool sort of thing um that's the sort of thing that's all those principles at play 
and um, uh, George is saying, uh, can you just be as detailed as possible as to what steps you would have taken to fix this? Uh, it's pretty simple. There's the other principle is uh, any time you're working your way through training and you start running into problems, you take steps back in training. So what I had to do with Indy there and what I've had to do with Prince got his thing with other dogs. It's slowly, slowly getting better and easier and easier. He's slowly just starting to run past dogs. Every time he looks and I'm like, print, print, cut it out, ah, keep him in. And that's exactly how you do it. And that's what I would have had to do with Indy is uh, first... So take a step back. First, completely eliminate the whole thing. Anytime I'm around anyone where she could do the same thing again, she had to be on a long line, 100%. Every time I let it keep happening, it's just cementing it and cementing it, getting it, it's making it harder and harder to fix. That's the first thing, eliminate it ever happening again. The principle, um, setting your dog up to success. Don't let them fail. Uh, then... It's just been super, super freaking diligent the whole time and managing it and managing it and managing it and never letting the dog screw it up and always helping the dog to do it the right way and slow, and it slowly, slowly fades and becomes less of an issue. But it's always there. And now you're just managing it and trying to reduce it. Um, so going back to the last the first question here which was a 25 minute rant um, that's how serious some of the stuff is you know and talking about how serious I am in the blueprint and how I go on and on this is why is because you can go to all this work and make one massive mistake and it can cause you serious issues um, it's generally nothing that you can't deal with you know, um, particularly if, if the more solid your training is, 100%, you can make a couple of mistakes and get away with it. Um, but that's how I deal with it, man. You just got to completely eliminate it from happening again and just work your way forward using all of the same stuff that's in the training anyway. Chris. Hi Paul, I'm still 12 months or so off getting a pup. I've watched a fair few Q&As you have done but couldn't find anything on this topic. How would I go with introducing a pup to pet rabbits that are free range in the backyard plus an indoor cat? Or is the drive slash instinct of a GSP too much for them to get along? Pup will be used for deer. Thanks Chris. George's comment, so this is someone else's comment after this, and I put this in here. Hey buddy, it would be a matter of controlled introduction similar to how Paul does stock proofing. I would say with the rabbits and cat, and that's 100% right, George, it's bang on. But then, this is just perfect, this is all we really need to say about this. But And then George goes on to say, walking in past without paying attention without paying them any attention until he learns to ignore them. It's exactly how you do it. It's how you minimize it. But even more importantly, also, 
I wouldn't ever leave them unsupervised anywhere near each other. That's the that's the key. I would say with a cat, you depending on the cat, you'll have more chance of because cats, if if it's a staunch cat, cats will teach. Some cats will teach most dogs to have a little res, bit of respect. You know, like cats can can scratch and claw and hiss and that sort of thing. A rabbit though. A rabbit and a GSP, <laughs> it's, it's just not happening, eh? It's really not. A hundred thousand percent, you can get them, that dog to the point where you can control it around the rabbits and the cats while you're there. You know, I, I could do that with Print or Miko easily, and I often do. There's rabbits all around the parks here, and um, I'll be running the dogs and the e-bike at night and Miko will be 20 metres away running along and a rabbit will run out across in front of her and her head pops up and she starts running. Prince not even looking at it. Um, and and Miko, um, I'll just, Miko, and she'll come back, you know. And um, as far as cats go, we've got cats next. Miko spends three quarters of every freaking day st- st- <laughs> crouched down in the corner of our section looking through a little 10 mil gap in a fence at a cat that sometimes hangs out there. Um, that's how interested, you know, they are about cats. But then same on the same note, because um, of the training that they've been through and, and they've, they've never really been set up to fail, uh, I pulled up at my mate's place a few months ago, not really thinking any, anything of it, um, let both the dogs out of the car. Um, I was walking around doing something in the driveway and I just sort of turned around and there's this cat just standing in the middle of the driveway and both my dogs are just sort of like standing there like, oh my God, there's not a fence between us and the cat. Like, what do we do? And uh, they just sort of slowly walked up to it and started saying, I said, get out of it. And they just sort of both, it was nothing, you know, because you, you've, if you've got, Proper training control over your dog. It sort of comes back to the, what I was talking about. You almost you should end up with the dog that doesn't know how to do it unless you tell it how to do it. That's really what you're going for. That's really sort of what the blueprint's based on. And, and again, proper traditional bird dog training and sheep dog training and all that sort of stuff. The dog barely even knows. It's not even part of their system. However, dogs react to situations based on their past experience and their instincts so if you're not there and there's a there's a rabbit running around the back lawn and there's a gsp on the back lawn even if it's really well trained the chance of you coming back <laughs> and there's either a dead rabbit or there's no rabbit because it's inside your dog because your dog ate it are very very high and even if you get that dog very, very good with that rabbit while you're around, there's still a very high chance that it'll happen while you're not there. Um, and and again, with the cat, it's really the same thing. Except I just think there's a better chance of you getting your dog to the point where you know, or you almost know the dog won't do it while you're not there. And every dog's different. Um, for example, I've, I've worked with people in one-on-one sessions and that that um, 
One was with a wire hair pointer, a Dutch dresser, um, and this thing just constantly wanted to kill the cat, and the cat was this. There was a couple, and the the dog was sort of the guys, and the cats was the was the ladies, and um, this dog just wanted to kill their cat, and they couldn't get the dog to the point where they didn't know if it was going to kill the cat. And it was, it was almost like there were situations where the dog almost killed the cat right in front of them. And they're like yelling at the dog, yeah, get, get out. And the dog's just like, I want to kill this cat, man. <laughs> That's a German wirehead pointer, um, which they can be very full on, quite hard. Um, any dog can be, but but that's basically it. And and there's a big ramble from me, but exactly what George said. I'm going to read this again real quick. Hey, buddy, it would be a matter of controlled introduction, similar to how Paul does stock proofing, I would say, with the rabbits and cat. That's bang on. And also how we do, um, similar to how I do stock proofing in the Deer Dog Training Blueprint, but also uh basically basically the exact same thing about how we do um uh non-target species aversion training in the deer dog training blueprint and all of the basic principles we use there with we've got the dog to a certain point in training to where we've got a good dialogue with the dog and that when we say ah leave it the dog knows what that means when we say good dog the dog knows what that means it's very good on a long line um, and it's got good attentiveness and it's reacting a lot to us and what we are doing and then we completely ignore, we use possums and rabbits in the non-target species aversion training in the deer dog training blueprint we use possums and rabbits but you can use that with anything and we go over all of that as well. Um, that's everything that's done and demonstrated in that is probably more what I would do with the cat and the rabbit just to calm the situation down and get it to the point where the dog sort of knows while you're around and it's going to be very easy to handle in that respect but then exactly as George has said I also wouldn't ever ever leave them unsupervised anywhere near each other um Especially the rabbit, but I think you could potentially get it there with the cat, depending on the cat and the dog. Chanel. Hi Paul, I know this topic has been exhausted. We are struggling with our stop with a nine-month-old Weimarana, four months of training. Watched Q&As training multiple times. Asked for help in the group. She won't sit on a stop on her own. I'm still stepping in to push her butt down or using my silent sit command, upright index finger. Then she sits. When distracted by scent, the entire stop is a struggle. Stays on a stop, no problem. Sits good out of stop context. We don't really know what that means and we're you guys were sort of talking about that in the comments four to six stops in a training session excuse me we have not moved on to scent training um it it doesn't make sense to me 
um, it's pretty well, un- it's pretty much unheard of. It is really. I've never seen it where you're doing all your training correctly. And also, and this is very, very important, because and we've talked about this a lot in Q and A's, but remember you can do all your all the training you want, but if you're also doing a bunch of other stuff that is uh jeopardizing that or undoing that good work then you just waste you you're, you're damn near you're, you're just sort of trying to stem the tide you know you're just like bailing a leaking boat um so you might you may do two training sessions a day where you do four to six stop drills but if if you're also then the dog goes and runs around with kids or you're too lax with the dog's routine around the house and the dog gets away with doing a whole bunch of weird stuff or whatever then you're never going to get the result in training it's like someone um going to the gym to lose weight but eating a bunch of shit food the whole time and they can never out train that shit diet um so I don't know what's going on there. It's a little bit confusing. Stays on a stop, no problem. Sits good out of a stop context. We've not moved on. I'm not sure. And basically everything I can tell you about getting a dog to sit properly is in the D-Dog training blueprint. Um, we're actually going about to make, and, and this is... If you're not doing a bunch of other stuff that's ruining your training, you're making some mistakes in your reading and timing and your application and measure of pressure and praise. Something to do with your timings off. The dog sits up, you're too slow to um, correct it. Or it's trying to do the right thing, but you're putting pressure on while the dog's doing the right thing. That's releasing pressure or not putting pressure on at the right time, at the wrong time. It's 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 very simple. Put pressure on what you don't want, praise on what you do want. But in reality, the subtleties of it are actually quite complicated. For ex, for an example, I had a guy. This is years ago now. Um, I had a guy that started coming to me doing one-on-one sessions right from the start with this nice dog. I can't remember if it was right from a pup. He might have rescued a dog at five or six months old. I can't remember the situation, but he had this this nice dog that was good raw material. You know, it didn't have all these bad habits or anything, and he was off to a good start. He was sort of inherently a good handler, and he was passionate about doing a good job, and he was into it, going for it, you know. And he'd done a few one-on-ones and everything was going really well. He was stoked. But then he he uh, started sending me emails. Man, I'm getting stuck on my stop. The dog doesn't want to sit down. And I was like, hey, that, thinking that's the weirdest thing. And didn't make sense. And the dog was prob- probably somewhere around the same age. Uh and I think we talked on the phone a couple of times about it. And then he was like, I just want to do a session. So he come around, we did a one-on-one session. And 
all, pretty much all the one-on-one sessions start with the same thing. I just say, let's just walk and talk and you just do what you normally do and I'll, and I'll just watch for a while. Because if I step straight in, it's sometimes we don't even get the chance to see what the dog was doing if I just start correcting stuff straight away. So um, we're just walking and talking, I'm just watching the dog and I'm watching him and that. And then I said, <clears throat> okay, do a stop drill. And he said, I can't remember what the dog was, but as example, Mac. He said, Mac sit, and he put his hand up and he started walking in on the dog. And as soon as he said, Mac sit, the dog went into this weird half crouch position and turned around and looked at him. And it was almost his tail between the legs, half crouch, weird setup. And the dog was thinking about sitting, trying to sit, wanting to sit. Or wanting to do something, knowing it should do something. And to me, everything the dog was saying is that it stopped instantly. And it it, it wanted to sit, but this dude, he, the guy's walking at it, bearing down on it. Um, so to me, the dog was trying to do what he told it to do. So as soon as that happens, all pressure needs to come off. And that can just be your body language. But what the guy was actually doing with his hand up walking in on the dog was putting pressure on the dog while the dog was trying to do the right thing. So he was putting, we talk about putting pressure on what you don't want, praise on what you do want. He was putting pressure on what you do want. And the dog was stuck in this weird situation. You can have these weird little subtle things and the dog just doesn't know what to do. And the dog sort of thought it was in trouble and he was walking in, pushing its bum down. The dog was all awkward, didn't know what it should be doing and it was super weird. And I said, and I saw it straight away, instantly. And this is literally like two minutes into a two-hour one-on-one session. And I said to him, do it again, but as soon as the dog stops... Don't walk in and just relax all your body language and just say good boy. And so we started walking again. And I said, just wait till I say, because you, you know, break up drills the time and space. And walking along. And I said, okay, do one now. And he goes, Max sit and relaxed his body language and just stood there and said, good boy. And Max just sat down. And he was just like, oh my God. And, and, it's like, all right, so we did the drill, walk around in circles, pat him and all of that, release him, go again. And he said, Max, sit, relaxed body language, almost leaning back, all the pressure off. Max, sit, good boy. And that was all it was, that tiny, that tiny subtle thing of missing that reading. And then the dog not quite knowing what to do, and then you start feeding into it concentrating on it harder get a little bit annoyed put more pressure on it the dog clams up even more and it, you're in this downward spiral and the whole thing builds and um just from this tiny little misread and and that's i talked about this before that that's really um i mean there's lots of things that make a really good trainer a really good trainer but one of the hugest parts of it is that whole reading and timing um, of the in measure of the application and releasing of pressure and praise? Because you can put pressure on just max it, and that tone is pressure. 
And the second he stops, you could say, Max, sit with your arm up. And the second he stops and turns, if your body language relaxes and your arm comes down from that hand, that's pressure coming off, Max just stopped. So, so releasing pressure is the same as praise. It's marking the fact that the dog's now doing the right thing. If the pressure stays on as the dog tries to begin doing the right thing, that's telling the dog that it's still doing the wrong thing. So it's trying to do it, but it's everything it's getting from you is not. You're still doing the wrong thing. So he's just like stuck there in this half sit wondering what the hell he's meant to be doing. Um, it could be something like that. That it's either it's either there's there's something if you are doing all of the training in the DL training blueprint correctly. There's either some funny little thing like that, a reading or timing issue, um, or there's something else that's happening in the dog's routine that's screwing up its good training. Um, that's about all it can be with a nine-month-old dog. Um, that's well past, that should be well past that point where it's still a pup and trying to pick it up, you know. Um, and again... Uh, I'm about to make a YouTube video, probably tomorrow now, uh, and the title's going to be, it's either going to be one of the most important things in dog training, or it's going to be the most important thing in dog training, and it's that whole, and I'm going to go out into the park with the dogs and do it, and it's going to be all about the reading and timing of the application and releasing of pressure and praise. Um, so keep an eye out for that. We'll, th we'll throw it up everywhere. Uh, <clears throat> Elliot. This is rewritten. Um, hi, Paul. We don't ever... Oh, yeah, that's right. This was quite a long one. Gave us heaps of details. Sort of went all over the place. So I've boiled it down to... To... Um, <clears throat> to this. Hi Paul, we don't have a dog proof section to give the dog freedom sessions in so what we are doing is I do long line training sessions where I keep the drills nice and spaced out I talked about that um, people wanting you know people wanting to give their dog more exercise or you know just you can just sometimes you can just tell the dog needs more exercise it's not getting enough stimulation. Uh, a lot of time in the kennel, training's very structured and calm and the dog just wants to go and one of the best ways of dealing with that is instead of doing a 15 minute training session, which is enough to do your training but it's not enough to wear the dog out, you do a big, but in a 15 minute training session you do four to six stop drills but in an hour session it doesn't mean you do... Um, 24 stop drills you still do four to six you just space it right out just go for a big long walk keep everything tidy um and do your drills your stops and turns or your if you might be doing your clapper training or whatever you're doing um <clears throat> so elliot's doing that because he hasn't got a dog proof section to give his dog freedom sessions in so he's basically just trying to manage the dog's energy and give him enough exercise and his wife does freedom, freedom, quote unquote, freedom sessions on a long line where she just takes the dog for a walk without training as such. 
And that's, I don't see a problem with that. If we think about situational awareness and all these different things, if the dog's on a long line and, yeah, I don't see a problem with that. Because if the dog's on a long line, nothing crazy's happening, using common sense, I don't see a problem with that. The dog also gets a good hour inside at night where we give it a chew toy and it rolls around on the ground chewing that. Is this okay? What I'll say here, and again, I've said this before, but um, so Elliot's basically in a unique situation. He's tweaking the blueprint a, a bit to use it to train his dog, but he's had to do a couple of things different for his situation. And that's good as gold. Heaps of people, if not, I mean, almost everyone is going to do something slightly different to match their situation. Um, sometimes it's just tiny little tweaks. You know, um, people crack their dog inside from the start and the blueprint prints outside. Um, whatever, there's all these different things. As long as you're still moving through the training, I don't see any problem with any of that stuff, Elliot, to be honest. It's not like, hey, I'm, um, on the weekend, I take my dog out and I just let it chase deer for three hours a day. You know what I mean? It's, or, or something bonkers like that, that I'd say definitely don't do that because this, this, and this. What you're doing there, the long training session is fine. I recommend that. Um your wife taking the dog for a long walk on a long line, so it's not running around, getting out of control, chasing anything, doing anything like that. It's just basically a chill walk on the long line where she's not really training. Um, <clears throat> that situational awareness is going to kick in where she knows it's sort of chill time on that walk with your partner. Um, however, if your training is a bit more on point with the drills and you're a little bit more strict, then it's going to your dog's going to know, okay, I'm with Elliot now it's game face on um, and the inside thing at night's fine too it's totally fine um, so you know none of that's a big deal breaker for me and and on anything like that if you're with again within reason if you're doing you know not chasing deer or something bonkers if you're doing it a tweak like this and you're still moving through training hitting all your markers and the dogs improving and getting better and everything seems to be going along all right then you're fine you know so um that's my take on that it sounds like you're dealing with the situation really well actually to me um elliot again another question from elliot Hi Paul, another one from me, just have been watching Handling the Dog While Hunting in part 12 and notice that Fly is a bit keener, pushes her range as is generally a bit more active than print, she reminds me of our pup Jude, anyway I'm just curious about what you did to train Fly and if it was exactly the same training as per the blueprint or whether your skills had improved by the time you started with print the emergency she started a bit more oh she started to need a bit more handling once you'd hunted her for a couple of years so wondering if that was a reflection of the training she received or just a reflection of her as an individual dog uh yeah so the training that Fly got was 
that was the first time doing a lot of the stuff that ended up going in the Dead Dog Training Blueprint. Using a, like the dog, she was either went. I got fly at six months old. Okay, so so there's a big difference there. She wasn't right from a pup. I got her at about five or six months old. And when I got her, she was a rescue dog. When I got her, she had no. She was base. She was kind of like getting a wild dog, if you can imagine that. And that's almost what she was. That's why she got picked up by the pound was because she was. Someone had some, their dog had some pups on a farm and they were, the pups were just repeatedly getting picked up by um, dog control, just wandering the neighborhood. They were just not kenneled, not on a dog proof section. Um, who knows what they were doing, but, um, and there's not a big, there's not a big uh, time frame there either from the pups reaching eight or 10, 12 weeks old where they actually start walking around. To five months old where she got picked up there's a couple of months there where so basically i don't know her, her owner was just out to lunch you know who knows what was going on there um but what i mean by she was basically like a wild dog was she was very scared of people she'd probably because she was wandering around people were probably throwing stuff at her get out of here that sort of stuff um i think she was that very standoff standoffish timid dog anyway that had then been mistreated had a very bad start to life, was very confused, um, and zero training. And you could say, here pup, puppy, here fly, whistle, do whatever. She knew nothing about a name. She knew nothing about a whistle, come, pat your knee, lay down on the ground, nothing. All she wanted to do was run away. If I reckon the day I brought her home, if I had put her on the ground outside, Without a long line, she just would have run off and I never would have seen her again. She would have got picked up. But she just had nothing and was scared. Um, <clears throat> so she was either in a kennel or on a long line. Um, it took me about a week before she'd even sort of look up or want to pat or anything. She was just c completely clammed up. No response, nothing. Um... And so she was either in a kennel or on a long line. And, and I'd already made the decision to do that. That's how I wanted to train that dog I got before I got her. And she was like that. Um, and she was either on a long line or in the kennel for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I did a lot of the stuff that's in the Dog Training Blueprint. <clears throat> but a lot faster and not quite as thorough. And then I started hunting her. And she was like ridiculously good straight away at about 10 months old eight or ten months old um and she was ridiculously good straight away and she got better and better and better the big stuff up with fly was uh i tried going back to the start of this q a talking about dogs chasing and auto ch retrieving and auto flushing and all of that sort of stuff uh a big thing with fly was i used her for baling goats because that's what i was doing at the time and, and i was under a bit of pressure to get a baling dog going and um that's where my next pay rise is going to come from and i needed the pay rise too and um so i was just i just had i was under a lot of pressure to get a baling dog going um and i've sort of been told how to do it and that I had to get it going and was getting advice and things and I, I just tried it, tried to get it going. She sort of 
um, she wasn't fly wasn't really cut out as a good bailer. She was really much more so. She was an excellent indicating dog, particularly before I started bailing with her. Um, she got okay as a short range bailer, but was never that amazing, and I don't think she was ever going to be, to be honest. But um, so that's the differences, that, and that's really. Uh, Probably the main reasons why Fly took more handling is that much less training. So from six months old to eight months old, basically, a couple of months of training, and then I'm um, hunting. She was very, very, very good, and then I started doing that bailing stuff, but none of it was out of control. It was None of it was auto-bailing. It was all keeping her in, keeping her steady, and then sending her out to bail. So giving her a way you go command to go bail. Um, and trying to keep that very controlled and structured as well, um, which makes it harder to get them going bailing as well than having just a dog that just auto bails, like most pig dogs do. Most pig dogs, you're walking along and the pig dog's in behind you. If it smells a pig, it'll almost knock you over running past. Um but that's the differences. Nowhere near as much training. Nowhere near as thorough. Um, there was a lot of things that I eventually put in the dead dog training blueprint that I didn't do with Fly. And then I also did that bailing work with her, which as careful as I was and and uh, and all of that, it still made her... It made it so it was an option for her. You know, I've just been talking about how you can train a dog in a way that, like Print, Print's not even thinking about bailing it, running and chasing and bailing a deer because he's never done it. He doesn't even know he can do it. Um, once Fly bailed goats, she, she, that was in the back of her mind. Um, and she was still a very good indicator and she still is very, very good. Um but it does change it. Once you do it, it's a, you, that's a different dog that you're dealing with. It knows it can do it, and now you're managing it. Um, uh, so that's that, basically. And, I mean, long story short, I did do a lot of the stuff that eventually went into the blueprint with Fly, but Fly's training compared to Prince training is... As far as uh, how thorough it is and how much of it I did, and I did a lot of things in the blueprint that I didn't do with Fly, and it's just night and day. You can't even really compare the two. Um, yeah, is that, is that, did I answer that whole question? Um, handling, oh, so is it a reflection of your training or is it a reflection of your individual as a dog? It's basically all a reflection of her training and then the way and then the things I did with her while I was hunting later. And if anything, and as far as is it a ref reflection of your training or her as an individual dog, I would actually say, or I would 100% say uh, that fly was far more inclined to be the perfect indicating dog than printers. It was the training and the things that I did with her while I was hunting. And then it was the 
training that I did with print and all the things that I've did with him while I've been hunting or the things that I haven't did with him while I was hunting that have made the difference between the two that fly took more handling and that print is basically is it still takes a little bit of handling and I'm quite often hunting him on the long line just to keep things super easy and a hundred percent but um I mean flies uh print's just an absolute piece of cake you know he really is um and and fly was actually the better raw material it was just the things that i did with her so that's that man um george this is rewritten have a quick drink here <clears throat> uh so this is rewritten obviously trimmed it down a bit george hi paul I'm having a real tough time with training during lockdown. Yeah, that's right. This was quite a big long comment and I've sort of boiled it down. Hi Paul, I'm having a real tough time training during lockdown. George is in Melbourne and you guys have had it pretty rough. Um, I can't get out to get to water or cows to do those parts of training with, with in, in, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't read I can't talk I can't get out to get to water or cows to do those parts of training and with everyone out of work public places have actually been really busy do you have any advice for dealing with this so I know exactly what you mean about public places being really busy so in living where I do here in town the first couple of days of lockdown was really nice weather and there was more people on the beach. Remember one day at low tide when the beach is real wide? It was insane because not everyone was out of work. So everyone's just stuck at home and it was this beautiful day. And um, someone took a photo of it and it was on Facebook on the Mount Monganui notice board and that. There was, it was ridiculous. Um. And the parks were the same as well. It was because every like exactly what you say, everyone's out of work, everyone's stuck at home, and you can't travel out of your district. So what do you do? You just go out and walk around town. Um, and public places were actually crazy busy. Um, and like you say, you can't travel around to get to water or cows or do shooting and things like that. Um, and I've got a mate, a, one of my best mates, lives in Melbourne. Um, and I've talked to him a few times, and so I know what's happening with the lockdown over there. You guys have been on level four for ages. It's really dragged on. Uh, it's been really strict. Um, and and this was quite a big comment from George talking about how difficult it's been, and um, he's given us an update here. We're getting on top of it by continuing to avoid people, and I brought a couple of vests for him to say things like, I've brought a couple of vests for him that say things like training, give me space. That's actually a good idea. Um, and then George says, he's coming along good. I just have to be extra vigilant. Uh, and that's it, man. You sort of, it's, this is another one of those questions where you, you've come back and basically answered it and said you've worked it out. But um, uh yeah, like, because we were only in, how long were we in lockdown here for? Six weeks. Yeah, it was, it was like four, and then they added another two, I think, eh? Yeah, yeah like, 
because it, I was really lucky that we were obviously super lucky here. It was only um, six weeks. Um, I had tons of stuff to do in the house. We moved all of our stuff from the work building back here, like right before lockdown. So my whole house was just a com- complete bomb site. Like, I mean, it's, if you move house, it's like you can easily spend two weeks sorting it out from there. That's basically what I did for the first two weeks. And then it was like, kill another two weeks and we thought we were done and then it was now you got two more weeks to go so it was you know what i mean it wasn't that bad and i just wrote it out and my obviously my dogs are fully trained so i was just like chilling really and but what i did do is i was going out in the middle of the night i just turned nocturnal and i was going out doing big pack walks all around through the parks and back along the beach and all that so and and you know you're talking about um that idea with the training vest is a good idea because um, it can be really freaking frustrating when you're out and about trying to train your dog and it's on a long line. Like I've, I have, I've never had a full-on confrontation with it, but obviously, you know, I've been doing one-on-ones and full-on training dogs and filming, and so I've been out there a lot in public spaces for several years now. Um, back in the day when we were filming the blueprint and filming and we're about to be doing it again, going hard filming. Um, and particularly when I was doing one-on-ones, um, and and again, particularly when I was doing one-on-ones over and over in the same areas and the same people would turn up with the same dogs. And I think a couple of people got to the point where like, oh, who, here's this dude out here with this freaking dog training dude out here with the dogs on the lead. And their dogs would be all out of control running up to us and stuff. And what I'm coming to here is I've low-key got into confrontations a few times with people basically saying to me, let your dog off the lead. What are you doing? Why don't you let it run around? Like they're pissed at me because <laughs> I'm trying to train my dog. Um, and that whole public interface can be pretty difficult sometimes if, if you look at what we're trying to do with something like the Palmico Dog Guide of the Deer Dog Training Blueprint compared to where 99% of people are at with their dogs. It's just like cruising around and who cares. Um, but it's amazing how a little tweak can make a huge difference, you know. And that vest thing, like I'm a dog in training, it's, it's like the old um, joke of put on a... Um, put on a high-vis vest and and a hard hat and a clipboard and you can just walk in anywhere and tell anyone to do anything, you know. Um, so that thing of having a a, a vest on the dog and with um, I'm in training, give me space is actually a really good idea. And, it's, and that's basically, and then you say, and he's coming good, I just have to be extra vigilant. That's generally what it comes down to, you know, is when you're running into challenging situations with training or some of the lockdowns holding you back or whatever it is, you're in a difficult situation, What um, uh, you know, what was his name? Who The guy who didn't have a, a dog-proof section and, and, and he just um, found a workaround, worked it out, get a bit creative and be diligent and vigilant and and you can usually work your way around things 
and come out with a really good result, you know. Um, but man, uh, as far as the whole lockdown thing and dealing with that and then thinking about that happening like right in the middle of training your dog, which is like a 10-year deal, um, that's tough, man. Like I've got definitely got sympathy for that, eh? It's... Uh, and we're so lucky here. I, like, we were reading this yesterday, going through it, and I just said to Vinny, like, imagine if we'd have been on level four this whole time. I've been fishing and hunting and just going hard. And I was like, oh, my God. Months and months. I don't know what I'd be doing, man. That's crazy, dude. I, and I, I, yeah, I just hope, I think you've just come down to level three, maybe, hopefully, and... Man, hopefully it's you just away from here. It's crazy. Uh, Sam. Hi, Paul. I have a 13-week-old pup. Training is going okay. Just wanting to check that I'm not creating any problems. Sometimes when on a training walk, he'll walk out to the side of me, not out in front, but within range. Normally following scent, I'm thinking he will eventually come back in front. So should I be pulling him back in and making him be in front or let him follow his nose a little bit? Um, he's 13 weeks old, man. He's <clears throat> Look, uh, some of the... Don't take offense anywhere here if I'm a little bit blunt. You know, like it's funny because I get... One of the main criticisms I've got over the years is, God, he just goes on and on and on. Um, but that's what it takes to explain things properly. Um, so sometimes, particularly in these Q&A, if I ever just trying to get to the point by saying something, um, you know, don't take offense to it. But my note here is he's 13 weeks old, relax and follow the blueprint. Watch it properly a few times. Um because as far as what he should be doing or what you should be doing, that's in the blueprint. Um, like it really is, man. That whole getting your dog walking in front, part two, three, four, clarity of intent. Um, that, like that's what the whole several hours of that part of the blueprint is all about. And I'm showing you everything I'm doing with print how I'm doing it, breaking it down, explaining it. Again, I'm going on and on and on about it. Uh, it's all in there, you know. Um, but if he's sometimes walking up to the side, normally within range, and he eventually comes back in front, it's not a huge deal. And he's 13 weeks old, man, is, is um, that... Uh, that's you're on part two you know and part two is sort of the beginnings of getting the dog the pup just sort of walking out in front and getting calm you know building a bit of confidence um yeah i just feel like this is a bit of a question of either overthinking it or rushing or not watching ahead so not knowing that in part three or four you're going to be doing this or that or clarity of intent or something else yeah it's it's i'm feeling like it could be something like that um 
like I said, he's 13 weeks old, relax and follow the blueprint and watch it properly. Is <laughs> the blunt answer. Um, the sort of diplomatic answer or to try and give you more information is I'd be trying to get him out in front as much as possible and not doing this side to side stuff but at 13 weeks old I would be like extremely calm and lenient about it you know it's not like you're trying to get him perfect clean line out in front um and we actually kept uh, covering the blueprint i can't remember if it's in part two or three but clarity of intent and i actually talk it's a whole section on print veering out to the side and dropping back behind and how i deal with that and everything that i do there and that was actually in the comments on this q a someone actually chipped in and said that's in clarity of intent and or Anything I could say here was almost in the comments, but I wanted to at least, you know, talk about this in the Q&A. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and like what I'm saying, I'm not, when I'm saying don't take offense to anything in these, I'm not trying to have a dig at anyone or anything. I'm just trying to say what I think needs to be said. That's what I was trying to say before. Nathan. Hi, Paul. I've got my new heading dog, Belle. She's seven months old, got a pretty good sit. Walking on lead and stops is our focus for October. Uh, can I still train her effectively on the long line if I have a second dog just running around, just coming for the walk, so to speak? Um, as in the blueprint, man, training from, training's one-on-one. -on -one. Blueprint training is one-on-one. -on -one. Later, there's a couple of times in the blueprint where we show you about using another dog to increase distraction on the stop. That's all in there. But other than that, one on one, um, pretty important for me. Um, and, you know, in later parts of the blueprint, we cover if you want to hunt with two dogs and we show you how to do that. But that's something that I do later with fully trained dogs. Um, again, we show you if you want... Other dogs can be great for distraction on the stop. At certain uh, at certain places in training. Um, but other than that, the vast bulk of our training is all done one-on-one. -on -one and I wouldn't recommend doing it with another dog just running around. David, hi Paul, having an issue with barking in the kennel, I've listened to the previous Q&As and still, still having issues. The main problem is I'm not sure how to give the commander disapproval because as soon as he thinks I'm around or sees me, he's quiet, so I'm unable to tell him off during barking. I've tried sneaking up and catching him out, but it's bloody hard. I'll leave him and let him bark it out bark it out he won't it's on and off all day he's a four and a half month old heading dog i got a bit over three weeks ago cheers my notes on this is have you listened to all the q a's on it because you said um having issues with barking in the kennel i listened to the previous q a singular and still having issues um so my notes on this is 
have a listen to all the Q&As. I talked about it last time, but there are heaps more, including a couple of pretty long, detailed rants on it. Go to biggameindicatingdogs.com, type in in the search bar up the top, there's a little um, magnifying glass. Click on that, type in barking in the kennel, and hit enter, and all of the Q&As with barking in the kennel will come up. I did this search yesterday and seven Q&As will come up and I would recommend listening to them all. Um, and if you click on the Q&A, then all of the time codes are there. And for example, I think it was the first one that comes up when you click on it, the very first question is barking on the kennel. If you click on the blue part, of the description of the barking in the kennel. If you click on that, that'll automatically open up that that YouTube video, the Q&A, right at that point. That goes for anyone with anything on dog training. Go to biggameindicatingdogs.com. Are they on palmicodogtraining.com as well? Same as palmicodogtraining.com. Type in barking, type in training with kids, type in scent training, type in anything. And all the Q&As come up and every time we do one of these, Vinny sits down for bloody hours and goes through and marks all the points and puts clickable time codes and it's all in YouTube and it's all on biggameindicatingdogs.com and palmicodogtraining.com and you literally click on the question, eh? And it, oh, yeah, yeah, click on the time next to it. It's in blue, eh? It's like a blue clickable link. And you click that and it just automatically opens up the YouTube video right at that point. It's kind of it's kind of cool. Um, <clears throat> I would recommend opening them and listening to them all because anything I can say now has already been said there. There's more to the process, but I'm not going to do another 15-20 minute rant on it here over and over again um, there's literally in those Q&A's I talk about it from all the different angles and there's a couple there where I actually do like a 20-15 minute rant on step by step go put the dog in the kennel do this walk away wait for it to do that do, when to give the command or how to use a hose or all these different things of 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 hammered it um, there's already seven there oh actually we, we did another we've done well this is the second we just did another palmico q a talking about barking in the kennel and anyway amy i have an eight week old heading dog bitch and we are starting the blueprint we are regularly working on the come command but there are plenty of things in our backyard that are more fun than me and getting her focus on me is proving challenging she is very independent and playful and doesn't seem that interested in pets or praise. Very early days for us, but any thoughts on how we can improve would be much appreciated. She's eight weeks old. She's eight weeks old. Eight week old heading dog bitch that we're starting the blueprint. So, I mean, my note on this is shouldn't be an issue at all using the long line and that's all in part one of the blueprint. So, and again, there's, there's really like 100,000% on teaching a, a recall with a pup. There's nothing I can say in a Q&A that isn't like hammered out in the blueprint and demonstrated and talked and talk, talked about. Um, I would recommend watching everything in part one again. 
if you watch that and like, yeah, I know, I'm doing everything. It's not working. I'd just chill out because the pup's eight weeks old. Some pups are different. The whole, everything they were doing in part one, which is four weeks on from an eight-week-old pup, the first month, none of it's compliance. It's not like print come and you have to cut. Like, well, it, it kind of is actually. And that's why I've said it shouldn't be an issue at all using a long line and that's all in part one of the blueprint because literally it's print come and I pull them to me with the long line. So as far as distractions and things like that, it shouldn't be an issue because again, I've said it, I said it earlier in this, in this um, Q&A, it's a tiny puppy with a very low IQ and we've got it on a rope. You know, we've got full control of it. And that's the whole idea of it. So um, it really shouldn't be an issue. But if you're doing all of those things and the pup just isn't getting it and you're pulling in and it's pulling back and trying to freaking out and all of that sort of stuff, my biggest advice there would be to just keep trying to do it and keep, you know, I talk about how in part one we don't do any compliance work because it's a tiny little pup and they have very limited learning ability. But we still need to spend time with the dog. So what part one is all about is about uh, A is um, doing nothing that is going to screw anything up, avoiding all the don't do's. But we have to spend time with the dog anyway. So that makes part one all about how can we spend time with the dog get the relationship as and bond as good as we can, get uh, as much structure and routine, kenneling, separation, bond, relationship, and everything else is a bonus. Everything else is a bonus. Everything else that we do in part one, linking actions with commands, those super chill sit drills where or we're basically giving our come command when the pup's coming towards us already, um, everything else is a bonus. So, so my advice there would basically be continue to do everything that's in part one anyway. Um, but be very chill about it. And again, on any of these, um, if I've missed anything, you've got an extra question. You got any comments, anything like that, throw them in the comment section. Send us a message, whatever. Um, that's it. That's the last question. Thanks, everybody. Thanks to everyone who signed up to the Blueprint, Palmico Dog Guide, all of that stuff. Um, remember, if you are watching the video version of this, you can listen to the audio version of these Q&As and many more on the Paul, Michael, Paul John Michaels podcast. Uh, and you can find out more about the Deer Dog Training Blueprint and Big Game Indicating Dogs at biggameindicatingdogs.com. We've got that search function over at biggameindicatingdogs.com. Some people are like, I'll be making these other new YouTube videos on uh, the Paul John Michaels YouTube channel. People are like, I really like your other stuff, but um, the videos are way too long. And I'm guessing this guy was talking about the Q&As. You can go to biggameindicatingdogs.com and search and just like I was saying before, you can go straight to the question, five, ten minute bites. Um, 
And you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all that stuff. Thanks, everybody. Get your questions in for the next one. And we'll see you next time. Um, we're going to be making more new videos on Palmico dog training, which is going to be helpful for big game indicating dogs followers. We'll make sure we'll share them around and that everyone's aware of everything that's going on. I'm also going to be jumping back in on big game indicating dogs and making more free videos there. Um, we've got the Deer Dog Training Boot Camp coming up, which is going to be great for people that don't have the blueprint. I think it's going to be, the blueprint's the ultimate. The boot camp definitely isn't replacing the the blueprint. Uh, the Deer Dog Boot Camp is going to be there. It's just an extra tool. Um, and like I said, I think it's going to be great for people that have sort of followed the blueprint or they got three quarters of the way through or halfway through and then sort of fell off and then they sort of finished it but they've never quite tidied everything up and they, they didn't just completely knock it out of the park and it's difficult to go back and start all over again all of that the deer dog boot camp is going to be great for those people it's going to be great for people who have a dog that actually has a lot of really good things in it that's pretty well set up anyway and it's got a bit of age on it but it's not quite there. They don't want to go back and start all over again with the Blueprint 15-hour video series and they don't want to spend 12 months training full-on the whole time. They just need um, a good few-week training system to tidy everything up and get started. Um, and I think the Bird Dog Training Boot Camp is going to be great for loads of people. Basically, anyone that's followed the Blueprint that wants to to get their dog retrieving, fetching the ducks, pheasant hunting, whatever. Um, so that's coming up. We've actually got heaps coming up. We've actually been flat out with a bunch of pretty sucky stuff <laughs> that we had to get sorted, moving and organizing and all this crap, obviously COVID. Um, and we're just coming up to a period where we're really going to be ripping back in and starting filming YouTube videos, dog training videos, video products. I'm still going to be hunting. Um, it's all go. Sweet. See you later.